It's time to unify and simplify the IT world. We are here to do that one podcast at a time. I'm Steve. I'm McKay. And welcome to the Interchange IT Podcast. All right, so our guest today is the CISO of Avanti, yeah. Mr. Phil Richards. Welcome, Phil. Hey, McKay, thanks. Good yeah, to be here. It's, it's, we're excited you're here. We've actually tried to set this up, but Steve has been traveling. He's been A little bit. globetrotting, and so we've had to push this like three times, right? Something like that. Yeah, I apologize. It's, no worries. It's all Steve's fault. <laughs> it is all my fault. fault. I'll own it. So we want to get into some really intensive IT security discussion kind of interesting stuff uh today we've we've um we've had a lot of it security experts on the podcast and i'm thrilled to get to, i'm excited to get your perspective on some of this stuff um but first but we have a lightning but first. round. but first wait there's more so lightning round of questions that have nothing to do with it security you ready for this no i am not <laughs> it's that's, be the point. that's the point good we've done our job <laughs> all right phil favorite movie of all time Back to the Future. Oh, which that's one? a great. Th- uh, hey, come on, the first one. Yeah, that's a, that's some like Top and the third one was good. The second one I can I can live without. But. All, right, all right, all right. See, I think the first one is like an all time. I'm with you. I think it's like a top five movie ever. It's good. Oh yeah, it's a wow. good movie. Wow. All right, favorite band. Well, probably Boston. I'm old Ooh. and. Uh, I like the old rock and roll. I grew up on Boston Third Stage. That was kind of like mm. our, like, we're going to do a project in the garage. Throw on Boston. Let's go. <laughs> and when my dad wanted to show off the stereo, you know that, that one track, The Launch? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. He would, like, check out what my stereo can do. Stereophonic <laughs> sound. <laughs> Hi-fi. Exactly. Hi-fi. Two speakers. Two speakers. There you, go. Speakers. There you yeah. go. So if you had, um, if you could max out your credit card at one store, what store would that be? It can't be Amazon because you can buy That's, anything. Because you can buy anything at Amazon. So what store? I don't know. Tesla store maybe. Oh, Get a Tesla. Yeah, there you go. Well that done. would definitely effectively max out the yeah, credit card though. <laughs> well done. Yes, you could max out your... You better have quite a balance. <laughs> quite an available balance on that credit uh, card. We only accept American Express Black. <laughs> right. All right. If uh, um, Tell me uh, uh, what is one of your strange talents. One of my strange talents. Well, I can uh, I can I can whistle with my hands. I don't know how exciting that is, but uh, that's that's, that's, that's kind good, of a strange actually. talent. Everybody else means. says everybody else says I don't have one. I don't have a strange talent. Like, you had a strange strange fantastic strange talent. That's a good one. That is not a fantastic strange no, talent. No, I think at interchange strange. at interchange this next year we're going to be need to be serenaded by your hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what we need to hear. Join the band on stage. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Steve that's Morton. what we'll do. <laughs> Steve Morton, special guest. <laughs> Phil Richards and his whistling hands. I like that. And then the last question is, uh, have you had a pet that you hated? No, no, not have you. What pet have you what hated? What pet have you hated? It's your least favorite pet. Well, my daughter won a goldfish at school one time, and the darn thing hung on for six years. <laughs> so. How, what did you guys feed that thing? I didn't feed it. I kind of figured my, you know, my, my fifth grade daughter would uh, kind of not kind of feed not feed it, and then it would die. But she fed it just often enough for it to thrive in this little inch and a half of water, and uh, you seem to do see, fine. I can see you going into like a, your daughter's bedroom and just being like this stupid fish. 
fish is still alive. <laughs> like you wake up every morning and go in, and the fish is still swimming, mocking. Yeah, exactly. Fish. Or it would sometimes it would uh, it would not swim, and I'd kind of get in and kind of get, get excited, excited, and then it would swim around. <laughs> and, oh, I guess it's still alive. Three years Can't later, flush it. it's still swimming. <laughs> Six years. So hung, hung on for six years. Little goldfish, yeah. That is unbelievable. It's crazy. So when I was in high school. If you treat them well, they don't last that long. <laughs> no, that's right. You just neglect them and they live yeah. out. When I was in high school, there's a tradition around here in, in Utah that people will ask each other to dances in fancy ways. And I came home one day to my bathtub filled up with 100 goldfish. And some note, some like out of all the fish in the sea, we oh, go to that's dancing. sweet. Yeah, exactly. That's very sweet. So I put all those fish. I had an Oscar. If you know what an Oscar is, it's, it's a larger fish. Right? And that eats goldfish? It eats goldfish. I thought, oh, Outstanding. This so this is, this is dinner for your Oscar. Yeah, exactly. I don't have to buy fish for a long time. I put the, those fish in that tank, and he ate 99 of them out of the 100. <laughs> and he saved died. one, and he would protect that one. That's weird. That fish grew to like three inches. <laughs> this giant goldfish. Did the girl that asked you out know that, uh, that you had sacrificed her fish? No, I don't know. I don't know if I never told her that. Yeah. Feeder fish, great. That's awesome. All right, Phil, you survived the lightning round. It's official. Good wow, job. okay. <laughs> we can continue. Yeah. I didn't realize it was a survival thing. No, it was. It was okay. survival. Most guests don't make it this far. <laughs> All right, so let's, uh, first thing, I want to just get a sense of your, your path to what led you here um, and, and your interest and expertise in, in uh, security. So why don't you start us, was your degree in this in school, was this what you always wanted to do, or was it something that you just developed expertise in over time? Well, from school, I, I had a degree in information management, which is, a, which is a computer kind of a degree, and I spent quite a bit of time doing a lot of different, uh, well, I went to both BYU and the very University of Utah, right, so I can, I can root for whoever's ahead. <laughs> well, well done. Uh, I, I started, really, my kind of my grown-up career at Fidelity Investments. I spent 16 years there and had a number of different roles there and really kind of gravitated to security there. Um, I studied for and, and got my uh, CISSP certification when I was at Fidelity. And that's the, uh, <clears throat> like the first uh, big certification that you get from, uh, from a security standpoint. And uh, they moved me into a, a, a security role there and I really learned a lot of things there. Fidelity is a uh, is a great company to work for, and uh, they have a lot of financial services kind of responsibilities, which meant that I was kind of thrown into the deep end uh, around a lot of financial services, you know, kind of compliance and regulatory requirements and things like that. Great way to learn, um, and uh, and and it was fantastic. So from there. I went to um, a couple of other companies and along the way went to a place called uh, FunTech and FunTech was a, uh, actually did financial services, they, they, they sell financial services to banks. So they sell payment systems to banks. And uh, I became the chief security officer for, for that company and that was right in the middle of the <clears throat> kind of the big white hot spotlight uh, because it's real challenging to be um, in, in that kind of an environment. It's a regulated environment. That was my first real big experience with uh, with a regulated firm, and uh, and learned a lot there. We uh, it strikes me too that this, your first security <coughs> jobs were at really re in really really regulated industries. Yeah, absolutely. Does yeah. that does that make <laughs> and, Fidel and fidelity? I I, I, yeah, I, spent, yeah. I was at fidelity. Oh, okay. 
And Fidelity... Uh, he was it, not in IT security. Not. <laughs> you weren't? Okay. No. You were on the phones? I was on the phones. I was... Uh, I, was uh, I worked for Philly for a while. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I worked in investments. And the life insurance company. Yeah. 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 Um, they take their... If there's a regulation, they love it. Oh, yeah. They take it very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Like, to the nth degree. So did that, did that make your future security stops at other companies feel like, okay, this is, I don't want to say easy, but like you've dealt in the most regulated industries in the world, and so the rest of it's relatively simple? Well, point. I don't know if it's relatively simple, but what it does is it means that you gather some expertise in regulatory environments and regulations and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and so having that experience in regulations means that that shows up on your resume, which means that's the kind of roles that you get going forward. So uh, it ended up that uh, I, I've spent my security career in regulated environments, largely because uh, of, of my initial experience at Fidelity. Interesting. So when you look at uh, back at your career in security, what are the biggest things that have changed and things that have stayed the same in security? Like when you look back at your time at Fidelity and with FunTech, like... <laughs> Things that have changed, things that have stayed the same in security. Yeah, the, uh, the there's there's a, a huge amount of things that have changed. Um, uh, it used to be that security was all about um, just putting in what I, what I kind of like to con- call point controls, where you'd put you know you'd, you'd you'd identify a control that fixed a very specific kind of problem space, and uh, and, and then you'd you'd put that control in place and and hope that that would fix your problems. It wasn't until a little bit later, a few years after that that the, uh, the, the whole idea of defense in depth became a, a real big popular thing. And so that, that changed quite a bit. Uh, right now, a lot of the regulatory uh, bodies are moving toward a model where they're focusing more on risk management and risk assessment as the, the trigger for a lot of uh, security, compliant, security kind of compliance sort of things. They want to know that as an organization, the company knows what they do and what they have and what kind of uh, issues they're experiencing that are unique to a company. So, um, so, so risk and risk management has really become kind of the new big fad popular thing in a lot of, um, uh, a lot of regulated environments. Okay, so the, the biggest, um, seems like the biggest change then is an approach to how security is handled at these companies. Would you say that's fair, like in terms of risk and in terms of um, compliance, or, or is it more than an approach? It's, it's tools. Obviously, tools change, but um, is it more of an approach? People think about security now differently than they used to? Yeah, it, security, especially now, um, the, the focus is really to make security, IT security, really be more about um, how, what, what its impact is on the business. And that's really the whole model behind risk management. Really, when you think about it, every company is in business because they, um, they, they do something that their customers aren't willing to do. Even if it's something as simple as a grocery store, you might think, uh, well, you know, what risky behavior does a grocery store do? And the short answer to that is, well, they sell okra. I don't know if you have, have ever had okra, but it's horrible. I mean, it's, 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 it's not very, t- it tastes like somebody spitting your green beans. Um, Which I did to Steve the other day. It was awkward. <laughs> it, was awkward. I, it was really weird. Yeah, no, there's, uh, I was introduced to okra in the Caribbean. There's a, there's a, they used to say you can't eat okra with one finger. That's like the expression they would use because it's so slippery and slimy and ugh. yeah, slippery and slimy is not usually the kind of thing I I go for in a, in a, in a in dish veggies. In, in veggies. Yeah, um, <laughs> even if you but even if you like okra, you can certainly understand that that it's risky to stock okra. I mean, okra is perishable. It's it's something that after a week, 
you know, if it was ever good in the first place, it's no good anymore. Um, and, uh, and, and it takes up shelf space. So, so, so um, even something as simple as a grocery store, they mm-hmm. take risks that, uh, that their customers aren't willing to take. And the whole idea behind risk management is finding the risk that your company is willing to take versus the risks that they're not willing to take. As another example for the, from the grocery store, if you went into a grocery store and said, hey, I don't have any money, but I want to buy some hamburger and I will gladly pay you Tuesday for some hamburger today, they would say, <laughs> no, forget it. We're not going to do that. You need to go to a bank and get a credit card. They're willing to take that risk, whereas a grocery store typically wouldn't be willing to take that risk. Right. You have – it's an interesting way to look. I've never thought it through that way. That's like I, I think of, and then even within grocery stores, you've got smaller ones that you know, mom and pop grocery store would take more personal risks. Right, because they're they're willing to, or they need to, in right. order to gather their 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 market share. They need to take that kind of risk. It's but it's a but it's a different risk, and it's yeah. and it it leverage it provides leverage or makes them have leverage, uh, and and makes their you know their viability more in question than than say a major grocery store chain, which just flat out won't take that risk. So it's not a question of getting rid of risk. It's a question of controlling and, and understanding risk and choosing exactly. the risks that you can can take, I guess. And right. You know, That's exactly right, yeah. 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 And you probably saw vastly different uh, levels of risk and types of risk at Fidelity versus Fund Tech versus, versus here at Avanti, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we always think about uh, financial services as being these companies that are straight-laced and they wear ties and suits and they never take any risk. And, and the reality is, a bank is probably the one of the most financially risky uh, environments on the planet. I mean, most banks these days are between 80 and 90% leverage. That means of every dollar they spend, 90 cents of it is is not theirs. They're spending other people's money. And that, um, that, prov- that that's a tremendous amount of risk from a financial standpoint. So that's risk that they're willing to take. There's other risks, such as selling okra, that, that they're not willing to take. That makes sense. So... As you think back on your career path that led you here, um, are there instances where, um, and obviously everybody learns along the way of their career path, but are there instances where you're think, you think back now and there's a, um, we were talking before about um, s- stories make the best, uh, best fodder for stuff like this. Are there any instances that you can he- think of from your past that you're like, oh man, this was a close call or this, this almost bit us or are there instances like that or instances that you, because you talk to a lot of security people as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a number of things that, uh, that one of the things that I think is, re- is really interesting is understanding where security, um, you know, what kind of things are, are need to be secured and what kind of things don't. I spent a little bit of time working for a, um, a, a healthcare manufacturer and after talking to, you know, trying to identify and understand where their risks were, one of the things that I found out almost um, by happenstance was the fact that uh, the manufacturing process at, at a couple of different steps required uh, the application of, of gold leads on, onto, onto a circuit board. So they had literally a stash of gold. And that stash of gold had been, had been robbed multiple times. And the reason why as was stashes be- of gold are often as often a, a stash of gold watched watched will happen. Yeah, a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> never watched any movie ever. <laughs> uh, and and these these guys just what they needed is they needed a process around where the gold was stored, how it got checked in, how it got checked out, and some controls around some of that stuff. Um, they, uh, they they actually ended up firing one of the people that they weren't sure of, but were leaning toward this person was one of the guys who stole some of the gold. 
when we counted it up, it was it was tens of thousands of dollars worth of gold that had left, and they think that this one guy had had taken it. So, um, so the, the interesting thing is they you know they had a lot of controls in a lot of areas, but they didn't control the gold, and that was one thing that they needed to control. Always control the gold. Always control the gold. <laughs> Steve's rule in life. It's, it, it's, it served you well. <laughs> it's a good rule, uh, and part of you know part of the. Uh, anecdote, I guess, for that story is to know where your gold is, um, even if it's not physical gold like it was for this company, to know what's valuable within your company. And a real big part of a risk assessment is, is, is identifying what's valuable within your company. Um, what are the common risks that you see, right? Like, because you talk to a lot of, you know, a lot of our clients and, and partners and et cetera, et cetera, and, and consultants in this industry, what are the common risks that you see as you look across different landscapes, and I know it's going to depend on the industry and how large the company is, yeah. etc. But maybe paint a picture of what that risk looks like sure. at times. For yeah, there's a couple of things that uh, that a lot of companies do. First of all, um, you know, oftentimes they don't know what what it is of value that they're trying to protect. They they, they apply formulas. You know, like I mean, we we at Avanti we spend a lot of time looking at the the, the Center for Internet Security critical security controls, uh, and that's a great formula. But in a vacuum, it doesn't tell you what it is that's a value that you need to protect. Um, and it's important for a company before they start applying security controls to know what it is that they have to protect, which you know what's what's important, what's valuable. Um, and a lot of companies uh, just apply these controls kind of blindly without a view of what it is they, they really need to, to, to safeguard. So they're trying to control things that they don't even understand or know that they have or know how they're using. Right. If you're, um, you know, certain, uh, certain industries and certain environments, it, it's pretty obvious. If, uh, you know, if, if you have some sort of physical inventory, then control of that physical inventory is important. If it's real important that uh, the design for the next automobile uh, be kept secret, then, you know, that's, you know that that's what you need to protect. There's a lot of industries though, like, uh, you know, like hotels. What is it that you have to protect in a hotel? And if you, if, if you don't. When I'm staying in a hotel, (laughs) protect me. Yeah. And and oftentimes it it is actually the reputation, right? Right. That's the thing. That's the value. It's the, it's the name, the brand name of the hotel. Um, As an example, um, you know, Trump Towers was compromised. I believe it was twice last year. Um, And, and, and their brand suffered because uh, because of those compromises, those those kind of breaches when uh, when your credit card leaves simply because you stayed at a hotel when you when you have to change credit cards because you stayed at a hotel, uh, that brand suffers a, a reputation loss. Right. Uh, and sometimes that's the thing you need to protect. But it's important to know what it is of value that you're trying to guard. Uh, so sometimes companies uh, don't uh, don't do that. The other thing that companies don't do quite often is they'll they'll go through this list of things. You know, they, they know they need to put antivirus on on their endpoints. They know they know they need to patch. They know that they they know that they need to do all these things, and they do it fifty percent or sixty percent or seventy percent. And the problem is that you, as a as person who's controlling the environment, have to control a hundred percent of that environment because the bad guys only have to find one system that's not controlled. You have to be perfect because the bad guy only has to find one door in. Why, why do companies sometimes only do it to that degree? Is it you've got people managing different things and there's not it's just straight up internal communications or is it processes? Is it change management? Like why would companies only halfway do that stuff? Well, I'll tell you a story about that. Uh, this, this happens to be the same company that, uh, that, had, the, that had the gold stolen. <laughs> um, 
one of the other uh, one of the other things that they one of the other things that happened was we identified a manufacturing process. Um, and manufacturing processes are, are fairly well automated. And automated means that there's a computer that's kind of running, managing the whole, that whole process. Well, this computer, uh, the software that was running on this computer, hadn't been updated literally in about 18 years. Uh, so it was still running on DOS. Um, it, was, uh, it, it had to have a network attachment. But other than that, it didn't have much more. And so this computer, they actually had to buy uh, uh, computer parts and components off of eBay because they had to use this really, really old architecture computer so they could run the operating system so they could run the software on that computer. Um, that represents a risk to the company, but it also demonstrates one of the reasons why you can't patch that system. I mean, you have to, that system has to, has to exist. I mean, it's critical for manufacturing and you can't patch it. So you have to come up with ways, workarounds. You have to put, you know, you know, application firewalls in place. You have to put, you know, uh, uh, next generation firewalls in place and that kind of thing so that you can protect that asset because you can't patch it. I was talking to a friend of mine just this week. Uh, he uh, owns a, a healthcare software company and they just acquired two other companies. The software that they acquired, um, they, with the, instead, of, instead of building new software, they essentially overlaid uh, over the top of it and just mm -hmm. kept building on top of it. And in order for them to get in and rebuild the software so it met their specifications and update everything, they had to go onto eBay and buy a copy of Visual Basic yeah. to get in and, and so they could see the inner workings and rebuild it because there was just nothing there was nothing there. It was There's no way to look at it any other way. Right. Yeah, and that's a that's a uh, unfortunately, that's a fairly common problem, right. and and oftentimes uh, companies will have these these holy grail of systems kind of thing where where this system has to run exactly the way it is, and we can't touch it, and we can't rebuild it, and we can't recompile it. We lost the source code, or 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 whatever, uh, and as a result, it kind of has to stay static, uh, and it becomes critical to the business. Now, it's real important to recognize that from a risk perspective, and make sure that you're doing the right things to 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 adopt it. But also, you want to you want to look at that from a mitigation standpoint, how do we get out of that situation? How do we make it so that uh, so that we're not so reliant on this technology, which is absolutely going to fail us? See, I saw that a lot in, in I didn't just work at Fidelity, I worked at several different companies. I saw something similar to a lot of them, which is where a lot of their software was just that same kind of thing, where it had this underlining reel-to-reel -reel tape system <laughs> that needed to be switched out uh, yeah. once a week. And uh, they were so worried about the mechanical Turks. There's exactly. really like <laughs> there's a guy putting cards in the old exactly. computer. Right. Yeah. But they're so worried about losing one tenth of one percent of, of of the data from migrating over to something that's newer and better and more secure. Because if you look at some of these these financial services company, you look at something like a Bank of America, one tenth of one percent is hundreds of millions of dollars. Absolutely, gone. yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's all kinds of things. You know, McKay, you asked earlier about some of the other things that have changed in our industry. And one of the other things that's changed a lot or is, the, is the focus on, on digital privacy. Um, privacy is a, is a big issue in, uh, in most of the rest of the world, not so much here in the United States. In the U.S., our security portfolio is built around uh, what uh, what is affectionately termed the CIA, and that's not the Central Intelligence Agency. It's it stands for confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Those are those those three concepts are the pillars upon which all security is kind of built. If you if you kind of follow through the literature here in the U.S. 
in Europe, it's completely different. The, 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 there's only one pillar, and it's privacy. It's, it's personal or digital privacy. And that, that concept of privacy is what drives um, the, the, or necessitates the need for all of security uh, in Europe. So fundamentally, here in the U.S., we do things differently than, than in Europe. Um, but e- even here in the U.S., we're starting to become more uh, insistent on privacy as maybe a fourth leg in that, uh, in that stool. Is that what's driving the GDPR? GDPR is, is absolutely an EU uh, kind of a notion. Uh, any company who wants to sell from the, you know, who wants to sell product in Europe has to be GDPR compliant by May of 2018. Um, and yes, that that is all about individual privacy. That's all about uh, protecting data of people in the European Union. Do you think that Europe's missing something by missing those other three legs, or do you think that? That we're missing we're something, missing something by, focusing by focusing not focusing on Yeah, I think, and I think it's both. I think it's both. a little bit of both. Um, those having it, It's a very different philosophy in Europe than it is in the United States, um, which means the, the rights of, of companies and the rights of employees and the rights of individuals is very different. It's just viewed differently. Um, and it's not better or worse. It's just different. But, um, but, but I think um, it adds some richness to, to an overall security portfolio discussion uh, and similarly, they're missing a lot of things, missing out on a lot of things by by not focusing on kind of the service level aspects that we that we tend to focus on here in the U.S. So here's a dumb guy question for you: um, for these breaches that happen and these problems that occur, it seems like you could do everything correctly, right? You could do everything right from a tools perspective, from a um, from a risk management perspective, etc. And if if some doofus clicks on the wrong email inside your organization, you're kind of powerless there. Am I wrong there? Or is that the right way to say? Is that the right way to think about it? Well, it's always the right way to think about it. Yeah, I mean, you hear a lot of anecdotal people say uh, it's not if you get breached, it's when. And the model or the idea behind that statement, although the statement's a little kind of may or may not be true, the 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 model behind it is. Um, the quality of a breach has everything to do with how much how much work the uh, the attacker is willing to put in. Um, most everywhere, if not everywhere, is breachable. Um, it's just a matter of how much work it takes. And similar to the analogy of the bear chasing you and your friend through the forest, sometimes you don't have to run faster than the bear. You just have to run faster than your friend. And uh, that's why I hang out with Steve. There you that's go. True. <laughs> I, I know that if a bear ever attacks, he's not that fast. Well, Steve kind of looks like a bear too, so he might not get attacked <laughs> I, anyway. I could take him. <laughs> there you go. Well, we're talking grizzly or black bear because <laughs> you know that's what? that's two different. Which bear is best? <laughs> yeah. Bears, so so you don't beans. really even need to. They're just going to pick the path of least resistance. Oftentimes, now sometimes you're talking about a targeted attack, and they're really, you know, and and some of these groups are really, really interested in looking at or penetrating a specific target. In which case, no amount of deterrent is going to is going to move them away from that. They're just going to have to get more more creative in terms of finding out how they can they they can access that environment. Um, but by and large, the, the, the normal, regular kind of attacker is actually looking for um, just something that he can attack, and he's looking for something that's relatively easy. Um, the easiest thing to do, quite honestly, is to send out a bunch of emails that say, hey, I'm, uh, uh, I, need to have every, I need to have everybody change their, uh, their password and see if anybody types in their password. Uh, then you have the ability to say, okay, now I know what this guy's password is. I can use that to get in and act like a valid user on the system. Acting like a valid user is always better than, uh, than, than trying to get in kind of in a sneaky way. It's easier to cover your tracks if, you're, if you look like a valid user. 
So how do you reduce, with all the threats out there, we talked about risk a lot, what are, the, what are the top tips, if you will, to reduce the, surf, the, the threat surface? Right? Well, like what, what should people do? There's, there's a lot of frameworks out there that kind of talk through, uh, you know, the most important thing. The, the, the thing that we at Avanti talk about quite off, often is the, the CIS, critical security controls. And the top five are, are, are known in the industry as the first five. Those are the things that, um, uh, that, that provide the most value and the most protection against uh, attacks. And they include um, inventory of software assets, inventory of hardware assets, uh, doing vulnerability, uh, regular vulnerability scans, um, and, uh, and, and making sure that you have a, conf a secure configuration for your endpoints. Um, uh, you know, those kind of things. Those are, those are considered the most fundamental things uh, in the industry. And uh, one of the reasons why, I want to just talk a little bit about um, one of the reasons why they're considered that critical. You'll notice that patching isn't on that list. Um, when I worked uh, at, at a couple of different regulated industry uh, companies, we talked, well, I spent quite a bit of time with regulators talking about, um, about patching. And quite honestly, we would, uh, the first question would be, are you, are you patching your systems? And, you know, I, I kind of know what the answer to that's supposed to be. So I'd say, yeah, we're patching our systems. Uh, the next question is the one that usually, where we usually spent a lot of time. And that question is, how do you know you're patching systems? How do you know that you've got the right patches? How do you know that you are in scope of all the systems in your environment? How do you know that, uh, that the laptop that was in Tokyo yesterday is the same laptop that's in Toronto today? Uh, all of those questions, all those how do you know questions is really where the, that first five from the CIS really kind of comes into play. The reason you know that you're patching everything is because I have an inventory of all of my hardware. The reason I know I'm patching everything is because I have an inventory of all my software so I know what patches are supposed to be applied, uh, that kind of thing. So the, the, the first five oftentimes aren't the base controls, but they allow you to make sure that the base controls are well populated throughout your, your, uh, your environment. Uh, and as we said earlier in this, uh, in this discussion, making sure that all of your assets are covered is one of the most important things that you can do. How big of a problem do you think that is? Where companies literally don't know what they have, what software they have, what needs to be patched, what even hardware they have. How big of a problem is that from your discussions with, with enterprises around the globe? For the companies that do it well, it's a struggle. For the for the the other ninety percent of the companies, they just they just don't know, and, uh, and oftentimes they're uh, oftentimes they've they've got incomplete uh, inventories, or they're struggling to get uh, to get current uh, records. Uh, it's always a struggle because it's and part of the reason is because it's hard. They, 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 you know, they don't pay IT guys a lot of money because this is easy. They pay them because it's because it's challenging. And one of the reasons why it's challenging is because you always have new devices that are coming into your environment, old devices that are leaving. Now with virtualization, uh, I can spin up a hundred new virtual servers, uh, you know, at the at the snap of a finger, and and all of those systems have to be accounted for. Um, there are licensing terms that are that vary across platforms, vary across. Uh, uh, you know, different types of so, uh, software, uh, things like that. So, I mean, the, the complexity gets gets out of hand fairly quickly. Um, and, and it's that complexity that drives, um, you know, the basic answer, which is, I really don't know what we've got. The other thing I was going to ask you, <clears throat> Phil, as well, is the, num the, the thing that you, when you talk to organizations and enterprises, what's the thing that makes you shudder, that you literally are like, 
if, if you were at that company, you would wake up in the night. Or maybe they don't know they should be waking up in the night. That's probably the, I think that's the scariest part yeah. is when, they, when you see these things and they don't know. They have no idea. That right. I mean, is that it? Is it literally just people not knowing? Or what's well, the thing that you see that you're like, oh, oh gosh. The, the, the thing that usually makes me shudder is, is not... I mean, the, the things we've talked about so far are, are kind of the things that you should be doing to prepare for an event, for, for some kind of uh, compromise of some, of some kind. The thing that really makes me shudder is when a company really fumbles in terms of the response to an incident. Um, so because post, post incident, interesting. Uh, there, there are so many incidents out there that it's that it's kind of expected that you're going to be that you're going to be part of an incident. How you handle it really drives whether or not your company is is going to suffer a, a huge reputation hit. So what, yeah, what does that look like though? What, what's some general advice? Well, that, that I, a company should take. There's it, in the news recently. There's some, been some very good bad examples um, that we can that we can talk about. I don't know if you remember uh, a couple few weeks ago the Equifax um, oh, yes, breach. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you remember, the CEO for Equifax came on, went on, uh, went online and, uh, uh, and 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 apologized. And I thought he did a fairly nice job of the apology. Uh, it came out later that. Um, that the reason why they had a breach is because there was a patch that was supposed to be applied and one person didn't do their job and that was, uh, you know, that was the reason for the patch. That's that. A that, that doesn't feel good if because you know all of us are are one pe- people one kind person of person. Away from losing our, yeah, and and nobody likes to. It doesn't. It's not cool to be thro- to have somebody thrown under the bus that way. It just it just doesn't play well from a marketing perspective. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look professional. That's for sure. Um, and B. It flat out isn't true. The, the, the reason why they got, they got uh, um, you know, attacked or compromised was not because one guy didn't do the one job that he was supposed to do. Um, really, there was a systematic failure uh, in that environment. Like I said, patching systems is complex. It's hard to do it right. Uh, and, and the only way it succeeds is if, it, is if there's um, you know, authorization all the way up to the top of the organization. So... Um, be, that, that's that's probably a good example of how not to handle it. The way to handle it is to come out and say, "This is what happened. This is what we did. Here's what we're doing to fix it," and 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 try to be detailed and thorough and that kind of stuff when uh, when that kind of things happen when that kind of thing happens. A lot of a lot of companies try to um, kind of. Uh, hide behind some of the things that they that they want to do they you know they they have here's a bunch of things that we know we need to do but we only want to talk about two or three of them and by doing that you you know there's a lot of people out there that will look at that and say that's not enough stuff you're not doing enough to make me feel comfortable that you understand what the issue is and that you're really trying to fix it and and really what you're trying to do is message that uh, that they can be comfortable that we know what we're doing and we got a handle on it that makes sense have you seen um have you seen a shift, and if so, what's the shift been um, in terms of the security piece of the of an organization? I don't want to say versus in the in the in the confrontational sense, but versus the sort of traditional IT organization. Has there is there an inherent conflict there, or do you in, in some organizations, or is that an overstated problem? Um, I think it's a couple things. First of all, I think it's still a moving target. I think uh, where security is in the organization and how it reports up in the organization uh, still tends to be a moving target. Um, since I've spent quite a bit of time with regulators, I can tell you that regulators, for the most part, uh, are going to insist that security play a governance and oversight role for, for the uh, IT 
organization and that they not report into the IT organization because it's hard to it's hard to you know uh, be you can't govern your you boss. can't govern your boss right. that's yeah. that, that's a challenging yeah. thing to do yeah um, I've uh, tried governing my boss <laughs> no, no. Eric has tried as well and it doesn't work so 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 that's Eric's one thing that is uh, that's though. challenging that's, that's so that is hard though right because you've right. got you're supposed to provide this oversight role but yet. You, <laughs> Yeah, you might report to the CIO. It's a challenge. Right. So, so that's a challenge. Um, and hence, they, you know, because of that, there's a lot of dotted line relationships. They typically, the regulators would typically want uh, a, a CISO to have a dotted line report into the audit committee or some committee on the board, if not to the CEO. Um, when I was at one of the companies I was at, they, the, the regulators actually made me change my reporting relationship. I was reporting to the CIO, and they said, that's not going to fly. You have to report to the CEO. Uh, and that was the worst thing that could have possibly happened to me, <laughs> but uh, I mean, you know, it worked out fine. But it was uh, that was not that was that was a challenging uh, directional change. Yeah, I'll bet for the organization. Focused yeah. on and yeah, that makes sense. Um, talk a little bit about and we've just got a couple time for a couple more questions, but talk a little bit about the role of um, the security professional in IT going forward. Like it seems like there's a ton of. Um, opportunity here for people if they're in other areas of IT, as many people listening to the podcast are, to get into security. seems like there's expertise needed there. There's jobs there. Talk about that from your seat yeah. a little bit. Well, th- something like that happened actually here at Avanti just today. We were talking about um, some security needs within our development organization. And uh, we started to recognize that there is actually a role for having uh, a security enabled kind of uh, kind of QA person that uh, is is embedded in each one of our development teams so that they can perform uh, security checks of the of the software you're actually using kind of a security model um, uh, and, and and some really kind of cool security software uh, so that the teams have more direct and immediate feedback from a penetration testing perspective uh, or a vulnerability you know, ex- vulnerability management perspective, you know, what kind of bad things are are, are 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 the development teams doing with the software that we need to fix before we release it, that kind of thing. So, yeah, there's there's roles in the development side. On the IT side, there certainly is a lot of uh, um, call for having uh, an operational group perform uh, vulnerability management, perform all of the asset management activities, uh, patching Technically, typically is a uh, is an IT activity rather than a security activity, um, and then like I said, the the, the centralized security group, uh, the focus tends to be more on the uh, on the governance and oversight role rather than uh, actually you know being involved in doing the patching and being involved in doing the you know the log management and that kind of thing. How long do you think it's? Um, because it seems like it's obviously security super hot if you will, right now. Um, is that, is this going to mature? Like, are, are we going to have maturity in the security space to where it's not the um, hot new thing anymore? Or does it just keep changing because the types of breaches and attacks keep changing and the type of methodologies and problems keep changing? Does that well, question make sense? Yeah, it does. And I, I guess the answer really depends on how, uh, you know, is, is there going to be an end to the, the creative uh, way in which bad bad people or bad guys can, can get into an environment? Um, 
at, at some point you would like to think that, you know, okay, it's just too darn hard for us to, uh, to you know, for, for uh, our uh, criminal organization to attack an environment anymore. I know if you watch TV, uh, all they do is they, they type on a keyboard really fast and then they, and they can penetrate any, the any organization. Yeah. 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 And there's usually, it's usually some very poorly lit room, which seems like it would make it more challenging as well. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, there's like 14 screens and it's super dark and really typing keyboard. super fast. Yeah. So my wife always will we'll be watching one of those shows and she'll turn to me and she'll go, is that possible? And I'll say, well, yeah, it's possible, but it's not possible in five seconds. It, it <laughs> takes, it takes, you know, a year and a half, the other but one it's that's possible. funny is when it's like a law enforcement show and the FBI person's like tap, 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 tap. Okay. I'm in. Yeah. Right. I'm into this thing I needed to get into. But I have, I mean, speaking Taking a little tension here, Mr. Robot. I heard I've actually heard they've they've got like actually some uh, security professionals on staff to make sure that they should that the hacks they show on screen are, are somewhat real to life. Yeah, are supposed to be more real to life. It's supposed to be a more. It's a gritty. I don't know if you ever watched that show or not. It's it's a rough show to watch, but it's. Uh, we don't it, watch that trash, Steve, Phil, and I. I'm trying to. <laughs> To become the IT professional that I want to be. Well, you, you should you should type whatever they type on that show on your keyboard here oh, at work sure. and see how that goes. <laughs> see if Phil comes running up to your office. Like, Steve, what are you doing? What are you doing, Steve? Phil, you told me to. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Any any final um, final thoughts, Phil? Any any things you want to leave the listeners with in terms of steps they should take or or things they should be aware of uh, in security right now? Well, um, one of the things that I think a lot of companies still uh, still miss is really the the basic blocking and tackling of in the security world, which you know is just is just patch management, um, making sure that the endpoints have the the right kind of software loaded on them, making sure that you've got your antivirus. Uh, software loaded on it, making sure you have some kind of capability of tracking assets. Um, those are the basics. And, and too often we spend a lot of time and money buying tools that will help us kind of overcome our, our lack of ability or lack of attention to some of the basic kind of things. Um, the, the easiest way to solve a lot of these problems oftentimes is just you know, patch management, making sure you know what the, where your assets are, making sure you're logging what those things are, and, and, and that kind of stuff. Makes sense. Do the basics. Do, yep. That's the common theme we're hearing. Yeah. From every security expert we've talked to, it's really like, and it's the same thing in our in any discipline, right? Right. Like in sports, I've got a six-year-old who's, who's starting to play basketball and flag football and things, and it's like, you know what? I, I, so I coached his team last, uh, last fall or last spring, and, you know... I was trying to install the Princeton offense, and uh, you got to dribble first. You know, yeah. it's, it's the, we got to be doing the basics before you can do some of that other stuff. Yeah, yeah. I I coached my son's uh, uh, junior basketball uh, team as well, and he used to get so mad at me because I would spend so much time doing dribbling and layup drills and things like that, and and he would say, "We want to learn these cool offenses." And I said, "Well, I'll tell you what, your competition is eight years old. If you guys know how to dribble and do layups, you'll win games." <laughs> That's exactly right. If you can all dribble and shoot, yeah, like a five footer, you're you're good. But you you look at it, and and what's the most basic shot in basketball? Right, the free throw. For me, it's the dunk. <laughs> The two-handed tomahawk slam. It is. And also, we would put that in the category of most likely to never see McKay do it. <laughs> but it's the free throw, right? And yeah. you look at it, I mean, it's the same shot every single time. It does not change. But what are people's percentages? It should be 100%. Right. Right? Given that's what, yeah, but it's not. It's the basics. 
do the basics. It's the basics. Well, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Steve's been great being here. Yeah. Uh, to uh, those of you listening, please, you can go ahead and subscribe to us. We are on iTunes and Google Play and SoundCloud and just about every place else you can find a podcast. Interchange IT Podcast. Baby. Interchange IT Podcast. Make sure you rate us and review us. Positively. Po- positively or, or about Erica. Yeah. Either way. <laughs> uh, you can connect with us and uh, the rest of our Interchange IT podcast fans and critics on the Facebook page and on Twitter at Interchange Pod. And then you can email us um, at Interchange IT Podcast at Avanti.com. Uh, if you would like to be a guest or if you've got an idea for a show, let us know. Or if you have questions, we'd love to, to have some of that as a segment. And you can connect with me on Twitter at Steve Error. And McKay is found at McKay S. Allen. Don't forget the S. Don't forget the S. And on LinkedIn. And on LinkedIn. And I put some LinkedIn. And finally, thank you to Big Giant Circles for the music. It's awesome. Guys, thanks again for listening. Good luck. Change IT Podcast is brought to you by Avanti, a software company that helps you succeed in every aspect of your job, including operational IT security, asset management, service management, and supply chain management. Find out more at Avanti.com.